If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Side, a podcast under the Believe Podcast Network about black science fiction, fantasy, and staying on the same page in our marriage. Today is episode 34 of the Sci-Fi Side, and we're going to be reviewing the Netflix anime series Yasuke. I probably mispronounced that, Yasuke. But for this first part, we're just going to be reviewing episodes one through three, talk about those, and then we're going to do a second half of this next week. So just a quick little tip about Yasuke. It is directed by LaShawn Thomas. Uh, We've covered his creations and animations before when we've done the Cannon Busters episode featuring Carmilla Kay. Please go back and check that out. And also the series is starring Lakeith Stanfield. And so we will be spoiling parts of the first three episodes. Just want to give you a heads up out there. But, you know. Also, if you're like not a huge anime fan, we're going to have a good time and explain everything so you can access it. Before we get started today, Ben, how you doing, baby, baby? I really want sake. Like Japanese, it's like Japanese wine, right? It's rice wine. Do you remember the sake incident at your birthday party five years ago? Oh my god! Six years ago. Did you end up stealing something? Because listeners, just so you know, Ben no, Ben steals things. When I don't know. That is not Well, true. you take things that don't belong to you. What is that called? I take books that are being displayed occasionally at a bar that no one is going to read when I'm drunk because I want to read the book. But then eventually, maybe in the future, I will return the book, said book. So we went. It was great. And I ordered a lot of sake, and they were expensive bottles. And afterwards, we were going to Beauty Bar. So what did I do with the sake that was left over? I put it in my my massive fur trench coat that I was wearing that you hated me wearing. And I I snuck it into Beauty Bar, and uh, me and a bunch of your friends kept on running to the bathroom instead of buying drinks and chugging the sake from the from the Japanese restaurant and we got really freaking drunk at beauty bar, which is a, a sort of a, a very like queer friendly bar in Chicago, even though I hear the owners of like beauty bar is the same owner who owns, um, uh, the promontory, which is like a very like, like black friendly bar. Uh, and they do a lot of like, it's a black space for sure, but the owner of that those spaces, uh, Talia Hall as well, is sort of a dick. Mm. So anyway. But they're not black, right? I don't know. Okay, so why don't we stop before somebody out in the ether hears this and our asses get libel, slander, 
one of those two. Um, well, well, oh, no, no, no. I think they're not. Okay, so what I remember about this situation is that, one, the owners are not black, and um, we have a friend who will not be named who ended up across the street from Talia Hall like doing some graffiti to like call out the owners because they were not treating their workers, uh, a lot of their black workers as well, with, uh, you know, with equitable, fun equitable funding, um, which is sort of a thing that is really annoying. You know, there's a place right near us, Tank Noodle, who was Damn, clocked. you just naming the fucking names, but then when your friend, well, when your friend comes up, you ain't naming names. I'm not naming my friends, but I'll name, Obviously, yeah. I'll name, people who like hold back seven hundred thousand dollars in like wage theft like fuck yeah fuck those people i got you well let's anyway this Lashawn thomas was not one of those people no Lashawn thomas is the fucking <laughs> shit but in here and and we talked about this last time but a lot of anime has like food and drink and there's a lot of like sake being drunk in this and i kept on watching it at 10 o'clock in the morning or when I was at school, I watched the episodes at school at my lunch break, and I was like, I want to drink sake now, but I got to go teach children, so fuck. Yeah, that probably would. You, so you were watching anime during the school day? Well, yeah, I have an hour lunch, and so usually I just go and chill with the teachers, but I was like, I need to do more work for this podcast. Well, actually, no, no, Amber said I had to do more work for this podcast because she fucking does everything. Right. If you ever hit, well, I don't do everything. This is a, a really smooth segue. I can't write us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Yes, that can. is you, listeners. So I do want to shout out two amazing reviews that we just got hot off the press. Also, I'm sorry if y'all don't want these read. It's, it's happening. It's out in the universe. So Zina Hall 27 writes, love it. I found Amber. Mm-mm. Let me start. Love it. I found Ben and Amber. I just feel like my name should go first. That's why I got caught. My throat got caught. Not only because I'm the badder bitch, but also because A comes before B alphabetically. That's why I got tripped. Okay, also, third round. Also, we're going to come back to you calling yourself a badder bitch, but read the we, review. Oh, we read, most certainly read, will. Read the we review. We most certainly will. Love it. I found Ben and Amber on Instagram and have been watching them since then. I'm I'm actually a fan of sci-fi horror and fantasy and so far their content has been great i really enjoy their perspectives on the stories and films they review keep up the good work oh bow and i got another one ben see this one i like you friend lawyer margo says love this couple i found amber and ben on tiktok and was excited to learn they had a podcast too i so enjoy them and their dynamic even though i don't read or watch science fiction ha i mean that's the, the those are my people right there because that this this whole podcast is you trying to convince me to get into the sci-fi but i'm i'm learn i'm doing the thing i'm watching and and i watched this anime with you you did and it as you said i love Lashawn thomas this man is what do you say the goat yep the goat legendary is what i've been saying a lot because i've been binging the show he is he is legendary. He, so he he's very disciplined. You know, I'm highly attracted to disciplined people. Like highly disciplined people who are consistent and focused are just such. I don't know. Like I want to be them. You know, and uh, he at one point was like drawing 15 hours a day. You know, uh, which for me, when I found that fact, uh, I read sort of a little bit of a bio about him, and uh, I just 
incredible. You know, and, and sort of reminds me of you because you work about 15 hours a day. I do. What do you think stops you from being highly disciplined? Like, uh, I, I just, real question. I wouldn't beer. call myself highly disciplined. Beer. 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 Beer and, and sake. Beer and sake. But we don't drink every day. We drink more days than we don't. But we but on days that we don't drink, what stops you from being disciplined on those days? Pure laziness. Video games. Mm-hmm. I Or I used to be highly disciplined with consistently doing this and this. But I think a big part of it is exhaustion, like going to work, wearing a mask all day. But even just being on a when I was working from home, being on a screen all day and teaching and the thing about when you teach right now because like we don't have we're not doing we do have standardized test scores to an extent but it's really hard to keep track of my growth of my students and my personal growth for my students when I have a lot of students not consistently turning in work so it's sort of it's been a little hard you know the, the pandemic I mean it's hard for my students way more hard but it's also hard for me to like stay motivated as a teacher when I'm like, hey, I want to do this project, and students are telling me, like, you know, my parents said it was a waste to use spaghetti for a project. Like, I wanted kids to build a spaghetti bridge, and and kids were telling me they weren't doing it because their parents didn't want them I mean, to, fair. to spend money. But, I mean, yeah, but, like, so it's hard for me to do creative shit because I would have just bought them spaghetti in my classroom. Yeah. Anyway, LaShawn Thomas doesn't have that problem. <laughs> this motherfucker – is so disciplined and you know what the great thing in this interview he uh he sort of quotes um the guy from uh american gangster Mm what do you say uh he said you know he's like i wanted to go to the source you know in american gangster the the reason that uh what's the guy's name frank uh anyway the the denzel washington maybe yeah denzel washington's character the reason he got so famous is he had this business mindset of you go to the source, you control everything, right? You can c- control both the inputs and the outputs. So Sean Thomas was like, yeah, fuck that. He like moved over to like um, uh, South Korea to learn all like the drafting skills. And then he moved to Tokyo to like sort of run his own Japanese company, which is, I mean, LaShawn Thomas, if you're listening to this, when we're in Tokyo, we'd love to just talk to you and get your perspective and, I don't know what this man would need. Maybe more pencils. I'm sure he got all the pencils he needs. Oh, anyway. I'm sure his rate is through the roof. But we, we'll figure it out. Let's talk a little bit about it. I do want to just say this because I know we're going to – somebody out there is going to drag us, as they should, because we are not super huge anime watchers. So um, we, we're just going to talk about it as, like, you know, two people – looking at just at this body of work as opposed to like n- not knowing the entire genre as well. Why don't you give just a brief summary of, you know, what this story and what the series is about? Yeah, so it's very loosely based on on uh, Yasuke who served uh, Oda uh, Nabu- Nabunaga who was the great unifier of Japan sort of at like late medieval Japan, so uh, at the turn of the 16th century. And oftentimes when we think of medievalism, right? Like, what do you think of? You think of like the Black Plague or especially early medievalism. You think of, you know, the lack of education, all this shit. But Japan's um, sort of medieval times are very, very different. And there's this whole debate in like fantasy, especially it's like when you talk about medieval or steampunk, 
you get steampunk which is victorian england but also you can get steampunk japan like though japan and china these places did have history of medieval at during medieval time it just looked differently um and in most parts it was probably you know they were doing way better than europe which is uh something this show sort of gets into so yeah and uh so yeah you yasuke is the only recorded non uh japanese person to become a samurai and he's black and he's black yeah, you should probably say that. he's black yep he was uh from what i understand a servant who or a slave slave i think i read it was servant i need to double check that yeah. basically he came over with a european missionary and he stayed in japan so it sort of follows his story and because we don't know a lot about him you're sort of given this nice like beautiful empty canvas to fill in the missing pieces with lots of different flashbacks as well which are sort of like the highlights of these first three episodes so oh sorry i i need to correct one thing he's the only person of non-asian origin to become a samurai so what was your first impression at the very beginning, you know, I don't know much about Samurai Code. I know we had a great discussion with Carmilla Kay um, when we discussed Cannon Busters. But there are these co- these honor codes in this sort of samurai world. And I was immediately, like, episode one sort of opens with, with that one of those codes being honored because Yasuke's uh, master is, is, I think, pretty much what he called him in this or his 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 main teacher is uh losing a war or a war is coming closer to his village and so he decides to with a sword like stab himself in his in his organs and he needs Yasuke to decapitate him which you told me right away you were like oh you know what's about to happen right and, and maybe you knew that because you watched it before me or something but like it it, it was some sort of code of honor that like all of this had to happen and so right away i was like oh this is not for the children because again you know we we've had this conversation before we've had these myths about like oh anime is animation so this like maybe ben could watch this with his students but absolutely not there's so much blood and gore in this series um and i really like it as well because sometimes you get so secondly after the really bloody scenes i really appreciated that not only was he a black samurai, but the blackness, his blackness mattered. And it was, it was addressed because I, what we hate is, you know, when we get the Bridgerton where there are black cast members, Asian cast members, cast members of color and people, it's like a, it's a colorblind situation. Like there's, there's no real purpose why this mixture of cultures are here. Not that everything has to have a purpose. Like obviously we stand like Roger and Hammerstein's Cinderella, but when you're doing a period piece, it really sort of helps to address that historical context. So there's this one scene where like the Japanese soldiers are like scrubbing him really hard. And they're like, what is like, his skin is just, he's just black. Like what's happening? Or he's sort of not being accepted in these samurai circles because he is a black warrior. And I'm like, yes, thank you for actually addressing this instead of just, you know, taking this person from a slave or an indentured servant status straight to warrior without any actual like historical conflict there. Yeah. I appreciated how quickly we get through the historical factual part, which is he served under 
Nabunaga. Now, Nabunaga is betrayed by one of his generals, historical fact, and um, Yasuke is there at his death. Whether he actually was uh, part of the ritualistic suicide is sort of unknown, but we get past that, and then we don't really hear anything from Yasuke historically, and so it picks up, the story immediately picks up 20 years later where Yasuke is sort of hiding in this village. He's a fisherman. And he's going to the bar every day after work to drink his sake, which is so beautifully drawn. Like, it really is. That was my first impression. It is so beautifully drawn. For example, right when he wakes up in the first five minutes, there's this old statue that trees have sort of grown over. It's very briefly seen, but it has this layer of, like, authenticity and beauty but also at the same time, with the opening scene, the first fight sequence, they introduce magic and like mechs, like <laughs> like mech um, mech warriors, which you know feudal Japan didn't have like armors, armor soldiers flying around in jets, which is what is shown immediately. So it's a it's a it's a it sets it up to be an alternate history, which is very different than revisionist history which we were talking about today. The difference between revisionist history and alternate history, remember? Yeah, break that down because, you know, this is a show. We want to share some light on it. Well, a revisionist history is to go and look at a historical event and manipulate the events to fit a certain political purpose, where an alternate history is a creative tool in which authors go back and look at a historical event, change, intentionally change and tweak aspects of that event for a what-if um, thought experiment. So that would be like Man in High Castle, uh, right. One Night in Miami. One night. The alternate history would be. No, One Night in My- Miami is pure historical. Yeah, but that conversation, we don't know if that. Actually uh, it, happened, that would so. be um, that would be historical fiction. Okay. Where where revisionist history would be um, the the thing that we were talking about today, which was after the Columbine shooting, um, people took. The, the the historical instance where um, there were two Christian girls who were shot and killed and Christians ended up going back and saying that the reason they were killed was because they were Christians and that there was this whole story of like the shooters targeting them because they were Christians. There's no evidence to support that, even though that was the story that was told to me. But after like researching it, being like, oh, people went to this historical event. And revisionist historians can go back hundreds of years or they can go back a week later or immediately sort of change it. And there was no historical or evidence to suggest that these shooters targeted Christians at Columbine. But that story was used to sort of inspire Christians to um, young Christians like myself to like want to die and be shot by a school shooter because we are Christian. Which I say that now, and like, that is some fucked up shit. Like, revisionist historians are really awful, awful, especially in Christianity. They can be, or evangelical Christians, they do really awful shit. Where in this story, we get an alternate history. And I think that distinction is important to be made. I want to go back to one more thing that I really enjoyed about it. I, I, I love that I can tell that this animation is made by black creators because of the the way that black people are drawn. Because sometimes what 
some animators do, or like some anime rather, will just basically have like, you know, a Japanese or a white character and then just put black skin on them without changing the actual features, without changing the actual hair. And so I really appreciate like Yasuke has like locks and he's also gotten a little bit older. So it's just even the, the wiriness, like the wires of gray intertwined in his locks look truly how black people's locks look and you can just sort of tell like black people had a hand in helping and creating this project so those were additionally some things that i loved about what Lashawn thomas is doing with this with that being said why don't we just talk a little bit i know i know we're not going to really break down everything that has occurred but why don't we talk a little bit about the themes because what we see now is uh, Yasuke or Black Boatsman as many of the people in the village are calling him. He's just this very, he's experiencing PTSD from being a warrior and doing something like being forced to decapitate you know, your teacher's head would probably make me want to drink, I drink every day anyway or every other day. So of course that kind of PTSD, we get to see that right off the bat. And then he's sort of tasked with helping this sick child get to this very very special doctor so this child's assumed mother comes up to him and he's like you're you're the black boatsman right my child is very very sick and Yasuke is doing this thing where he's like well it's it's too far to take you all the way up the river just go see the doctor in the village and we meet this young child named Saki who is um you know has some very special powers and she is experiencing illness. And so they sort of start to go on a voyage to go get her help from that doctor. Yeah. And that's really the the whole plot of that. And there's this overarching war where there's these like evil creatures that are being possessed, which we see at the beginning, like for the first five minutes called the, the Demeo. They're like the dark army or whatever. And so that's happening, but that's really not the plot of the first three episodes. It's them trying to find helps for this little girl. So what happens is we discover that this little girl has this incredible, powerful ability. And so when they're taking her up the river, all of a sudden they are surrounded by like this badass like set of villains that are just, oh my gosh, so fucking cool. And this is what I love about... Uh, fantasy and world building is that you sort of get the sense that every character has a lot of thought put into them. You know, it's like the first scene in Star Wars when they walk into that bar and all the characters in that bar have like this alien feature and like they're, you're like, okay, I've entered into another world. And that's how it felt seeing these five characters. And so we had, um, uh, who did, who do we have? We had a, a Cho, a choja yeah yeah you want to go through uh and and talk to us about these these mercenaries are sent by this european christian missionary abraham to find this little girl because this little girl supposedly is from a christian prophecy uh who will have all this power so he wants to capture her and bring her back to europe so he can control the catholic church and that's sort of the plot of the first three episodes. And so he hires these set of, like, mercenaries who have all these, like, very cool abilities. And they battle Yasuke. Yeah, so some of those characters are Abraham. He's, like, the evil priest. And then there is another black character. We're probably going to butcher these names. But Ochoha, um, who has this, like, he, he can use these different spirits within him to sort of fight for him. So, like... 
I don't have to fight my battles. I got I can throw the the spirits in the air and the two of them will fight you. It's like he creates his own doppelgangers to fight. Yes, and then there's Nikita. She's Russian, and she basically becomes this, like, woman bear so she can, like, track people down. If she's lost them, she's using her animal instincts, so she's oh, super helpful. A werebear. Yes, and then there's Ishikawa. Ishikawa, so sorry. Uh, uh, she, she has this, like, insane machete, so she's really good with, like, her sword work and things like that. Um, and then there's this huge robot named Haruto. So this, like, gang of villains are just tasked. They, they don't really have any ties to this, or loyalties, rather, to this priest. But they have been hired by this priest to help capture this really magical girl. Um, and I I enjoy those parts, but uh, I don't know. A little bit of that sort of gets lost. I, I'm, I'm curious to see how the rest of the series goes. But we we are centering this little girl and her powers and how Yasuke Black Boatsman is protecting her, but it sort of gets a little bit, like, off-centered. Did you feel that when we were watching? Yeah, I sort of got nervous. I was like, oh, are they going to take away from Yasuke's story to focus on Saki's story of being this powerful sort of chosen one? Basically, she's described as a chosen one with infinite possibility and basically we learned that her little body can't contain all the power inside of her which is what is making her sick and so the first three episodes is yasuke basically putting himself in danger to help this little girl and hopefully they set it up where yasuke is going to train her and eventually what happens is abraham captures yasuke there's like this pretty gratuitous like tortured scene where he, uh, Abraham takes out these uh, like brass knuckles. These brass knuckles that have this this Latin prayer on them, and he uses them to beat Yasuke. And I thought I kept on thinking about uh, that phrase, like you know, hit being hit over the head with the Bible. Basically, yeah. he like redefined being hit over the head with the Bible. Like it is a brutal scene, but don't worry because eventually Abraham is speared very graphically. Oh, yeah, they fucked Abraham all the way up. Uh, with with a, a Christian cross. Well, and we, sadly, as Yasuke is being beaten and tortured, he's knocked unconscious a few times. And every time he's knocked unconscious, we get flashbacks from his past. So we're learning how he struggled there also to you know, gain respect from the other samurais. It's like him and this other girl. So there's this, there's this army in Japan, and the leader of this army is like, you know, Japan is moving in a new direction. Our, our culture is being more widespread. Like, I, I need to be a more progressive leader and start accepting some different people here. So there's one woman who is accepted in the samurais, and then Yasuke, who is a black man. And obviously they are not really respected amongst the other samurai, but we see Yasuke prove himself time and time again in this group. So I'm just a little interested to see how they carry it because we have, if we're being honest, seen Yasuke be in a lot of pain in a lot of these scenes, like from the very start. So I'm, LaShawn Thomas does some really good stuff. So I'm hopeful that he recenters Yasuke and we see some wins for Yasuke as well. Yeah, one of the great sort of plot devices is the flash back and forth because you have the one narrative following this little girl in Yasuke who is trying to protect her from this evil Christian missionary. And then the other story is 
Yasuke's origin story and learning uh, how to become a samurai. And what we discover is that Natsumaro, uh, who is the, the woman, they sort of have this bonding connection as being misfits within uh, Oda Nabunaga's army. And so they have this bond. However, uh, the plot twist, and I want to hear what your thought about this, is that Natsumaru actually betrays the great unifier, the person who's trying to bring everybody, you know, united in Japan. He, uh, she betrays him, and Yasuke ends up fighting her and killing her, which I thought was, ugh. Yeah, that's a little shitty because it's like, damn, the one woman is like, these hoes ain't loyal, <laughs> you know? Oh, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about themes, and then we'll save a little bit of that heat for the size. Okay. Well, okay. I am fascinated by missionaries, especially Christian missionaries. I'm fascinated. You talk about them literally every time we go to the bar, as it pertains to, like, the Jedi strikes back or whatever the fuck. Return of the Jedi. I, I, I don't talk, talk about, about them all the time. That's yes, the hell you do, Ben. You are obsessed with missionaries or, or telling the story of like... Maybe that missionary position. Oh. It's a great position. I'm keeping this in here just so that people can laugh at you. You, you Do you are know obsessed. why it's called the missionary position? Why? Because it's vanilla and plain as fuck? No, because missionaries said that's the only way you should have sex. Which is fucked up and Very. so fascinating. M- missionaries are like influencers in a way. Yeah, they're the original influencers. They go to uh, they go to other places and convince people to do things, and then those people are like locked in. Okay, so the th- what I appreciated about this is that it really shows missionaries of having like very insidious like lawful they are lawful evil right they have a very clear code of good and evil and they truly believe that their goodness through you know proselytizing is is going to bring about great change you think you have some possible ptsd from being a missionary in training and now like loathing them I don't loathe them. I think, first of all, modern-day mm. missionaries are very different. But I think what frustrates me is when we don't recognize the past, especially of American missionaries, because we often see them as um, being persecuted. And that's the narrative that I think modern evangelical Christians try to portray that missionaries are in a position of persecution, mm-hmm. which is, okay, like— to some extent, but it's not unique to being Christian, right? So these spa- these places which persecute missionaries, Christian missionaries, they're also persecuting gay people. They're persecuting queer people. They're they're persecuting not only uh, Christians but other religious minorities, right? There, it's not a unique Christian experience, and that's sort of what bo- disturbs me. And then prior, the other thing that disturbs me is not recognizing the history, right? When I was taught about missionaries, I was taught about how missionaries stop Chinese foot binding, right? That's the whole thing. It's like, look at all the work. Or they uh, they stop sati, widow burning. Have I mentioned this before? 
all right, so they, you know, you know, your husband dies, you jump on the pyre, you burn with him. Oh, yes. Uh, I have heard. I've, I, I'm not sure if you've explained that to me, probably, but I have heard about that right. before. So they're saying, look at all this work that we've done in stopping yeah. deaths. Yeah, or, or being like, hey, this is this misogynistic practice is awful, and Christianity can provide some sort of equalizer in that sense. However, however, and this is one of my professors who taught me in college, He's like, yeah, sure, like, not to excuse any of that, but Americans, well, European missionaries were having women wear corsets to an extent that it was like, like squeezing out part of their insides. Like he, he gave me this more historical perspective that the misogyny is not unique to China or not unique to India, but European missionaries use these instances to justify their 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 zealousness for the Christian faith and to create this form of neo-colonialism. So Ben, I like that we talked a little bit about missionaries. I want to talk a little bit about this theme that you tried to discuss earlier about holding too much power in your body. Can you share a little bit more of that? I mean, you're I mean the, I'm relatable. Yeah, you're the one who should be talking about that. Well, could you share what it's like to not hold power in your body? I'm kidding. You can't because... Well, you white. I mean, there's this. I mean, there's this whole <laughs> trope of really gifted people not understanding their gift and then wreaking havoc because they don't understand their gift and being too powerful to for their body to contain. And it shows up all the time in like science fiction and fantasy. And I think it is both. Um, I mean, it's a metaphor, right? Like having physical power. She, uh, Saki, the little girl, has this physical or this sort of magical power that shoots out this blue, you know, electricity, right? And she can do some really cool shit with this uh, telekinesis uh, and, I guess, energy balls, and it's great. Graphics are awesome. Mm -hmm. But they're taking this whole theme, and it's a common theme, but I, I appreciate it because I think oftentimes as a teacher, I can see really witty children uh, – <laughs> using their power to take down other like to to demean other students and that's a gift to, to be a talented person with words and you end up hurting people or really you know talented athletes using their athleticism to do terrible things as we hear time and time again in the media you know i'm thinking specifically of young men being rapists mm -hmm. um and so sort of I like I like that theme, but I think seeing that as a metaphor in science fiction and fantasy is a way to explore implications in the real world. And uh, I, I think I, I like it. Yeah. At one point, she does end up hurting one of her little friends, Ichiro, and sort of sends him flying back and almost kills him. And uh, I, I'd like to see more exploration of that. In a, in a different way. It sort of feels a little tropey right now. I would say that too. And I think that that training of being a samurai is a little bit more about that. If we're going back to this sort of like honor code and discipline code, or it, it reminds me a little bit of The Last Dragon when it's like Bruce Leroy is super powerful and super strong, but also the, the discipline is just as important. You know, I'm in this yoga training now. I, and we talk a lot about passive stretching versus active stretching. 
And if you're not a super, you know, into yoga or whatever, if or if you have like basic yoga understanding, you know, there are some poses where you just like lie and them sort of like and just and it feels good. We, we do that. It's not a bad thing. It feels good. But then there are some poses where we need to be more active. So what I'm really enjoying about the program is he shows you the power for all poses to be both active and passive. But he speaks so consistently about how you need that equanimous state of passive and active and I've been finding it really supportive in just you know everyday life as well when I'm having a moment of trying to decide like do I have to be really strong right here or can I be vulnerable with someone for a second about how they're making me feel and 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 how both of them are really valuable and really important and how we don't in most of life value both like we we don't value rest like we do a lot of action 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 so i i love talking about stuff like that because we're just not a culture and we isn't americans we isn't capitalists we're not a culture of valuing like rest i think we're getting there we're in this new stage of like you do get mental health days and you do get days where you can sort of email your boss and say like hey i need a day to rest or whatever um but but when we're just we're told like even kids who are super talented they don't really get rest days like when you find out your kid is a prodigy you're enrolling them in classes you you got them an art teacher a violin teacher or whatever and and then these kids get older and they're like i've been working 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 on my you know air quote gift for x amount of years and now i just have like i i feel like i'm this like machine you know and i can't control everything that's going on I think also to that point, you've talked about teachers or uh, or yoga instructors who are really talented and can do all the poses and they end up just showing off their skills mm-hmm. and actually not like that's a that's a power, right? That's sort of a, a hidden power to be able to do all these skills. But you can actually end up be harm. You can be damaging because you can. You're not really supporting your students if you're just showing off all your skills, right? Well, what do you right. call those? You call you're just stroking your ego. Your um, uh, your you, stunt queens. Oh, stunt queens. Your bendy flexi them. yogis. Your yeah, former yeah. ballet dancers, which I mean, and they're great. But those are the people that you know go viral on, uh, have have made a career in selling yoga water bottles, and they're the girls you're going to see on the cover of Yoga Journal. But sometimes you're like, this, you're you're using your power in a very potentially dangerous way when you sell to people like, look, I'm in a handstand. And if you can get in a handstand, your life will be amazing. Like mine. It's, it's a a dangerous line to tread. Yeah. I think we're talking maybe that, that sounds a little bit more of an abuse of power where in this situation, Saki doesn't, I mean, she's a child. She doesn't really understand her power. Yeah. And I think there there could be a little bit of that as well in any sort of situation when you have really talented people not fully understanding the implications of their talent when they're, you know, displaying it in in any kind of way. Go yeah. I'd be curious to see this like I don't know, like Bloom's taxonomy of your power 
and, and how because I'm sure there's like a a way that they do those in movies like I just show you that really funny Mother's Day trailer power uh we'll post it somewhere um but just like step one is like you're identifying that you do even have power because that takes a little while and then step two would be like learning how to control it and things like that and and so I I'm excited to see Saki go from oh, that's fucking brilliant right oh we can write that oh that we can, would be what do you great mean we can write it Talking about I'm sure that exists. Well, I'm asking you, does, does I, exist? I don't know, but I think well, right now there's all this curricula coming out about, um, you know, pr- power and privilege and how do you address it? How do you look at it? Um, and how do you do it in such a way with children to like, especially like a young white boy, um, in in a, like a woke city going to a woke school? There are serious concerns by like white liberal democratic voting parents that their kid is growing up feeling that um their kid is uh that whiteness is a terrible awful thing and that that is going to somehow affect their child's mental physical growth and mindset and then sort of compel them into the opposite way of being like white power which is oh so those parents are feeling like that's what's potentially going to happen yeah or they're just like it's complicated uh, the the Atlantic article that I re- just read is getting a lot of questions about this. Like, how do you have conversations about power, especially with young children whose concept of privilege is so um, confusing, especially be- when you're a child? Because in America, you have no rights as a child. You're, all your schooling is controlled by your parents. You, a lot of kids don't ha- choose whether they go to private or public or Christian, you know, you know alternate education and so how do you have conversations about you know power um regarding race and ethnicity and and gender politics with a child and that's a very serious you have question it with anime you have it with saying like you see how saki just identified that she has power you see how in this scene her power could hurt you see how we need to acknowledge the power and privileges that we have and you're not a bad person for having them, but you could, it, it needs to be the new birds and the bees conversation. Yeah. If you ask me. Yeah. I think it gets even stickier when you have a multicultural classroom. And for example, in this closed system of a classroom, you can have a certain student who, a black student, let's keep it black and white. Let's keep it black and white. You have a black student in this closed multicultural classroom who is very talented, who has the best grades in the class, yada, yada, yada. Then you have a white student who's struggling, maybe has an IEP, which is an independent learning um, document. And and then you have a conversation about privilege and race and how do you address that with multicultural classroom? It's complicated. It's tricky. A lot of curricula is coming out with what you're saying about Bloom's taxonomy. And I don't think there's something, a direct parallel to that, but I would be very interested into, like, looking into that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up. But, right. I mean, that's sort of what I, I look for. Yeah. The last thing I'll say about that is I think you can I, – I think it can be done just one conversation at a time. Like, I vividly remember my mom as a kid saying, like, you can't – I think I had, like, a classmate that smelled or something, and my mom pulled me to the side <laughs> one day oh, and said, do. like, you know, just things like, this person actually is – in a different living circumstance than you and you need to check yourself like there there's a way to have those conversations i think without and did i still feel guilty absolutely the fuck yes but did i learn that day like wow i didn't even know that 
there are children out there that don't get to shower every day. Like I truly did not understand as a kid that logic. And so it's just something that we need to be cognizant of at our young age. To that point, uh, Yasuke is going to start training. I'm assuming. Let's make <laughs> to some. To that point. To that point, I think Yasuke <laughs> is going to start training Saki and controlling her powers uh, for the next episode. I don't really have a whole lot of size for this one. There was a character who I thought was pretty badass who was killed really soon that sort of bothered you. You want to talk about that? Yeah, that's really quickly. It's just like, like the figure that was supposed to be her mom was killed pretty immediately. Like we saw her arm get sliced and then she's like gone, allegedly. You know, she she could come back. Um, and then the other side that I had was Saki. Uh, Saki was on her deathbed at the beginning of the series. Like she held up this like stick or staff and, and could barely hold it. And, and by episode two and three, she was like kicking ass and taking names. And she had the coronavirus in episode one. So I was just like, that was a leap. You know, but we are grasping at straws right now. I'm I'm really hoping that we recenter Yasuke. That is my one big like fingers crossed. Like, come on, Lashawn, like keep keep this black samurai that we've all been waiting for at the heart of it. But those are all my size. And with that being said, baby, baby, why don't you warp up the show? In conclusion, I hope that Yasuke has seven, eight seasons. I hope that we're watching this 20 years from now. This is an amazing world that's being built, and I can't wait to see more of it. You like the Saki story I said? Yes. I, I knew I I knew I would I knew I would throw fine. something because you were all pissy about. Let me outro the show, you cutie. I think actually we should start having conversations like We're going this, like to normal conversations. Uh, okay, oh my sorry. God. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Sci-Fi Side. Next week for episode 35, we will be watching part two of the series. So episodes four through six of Yasuke and then Ben, just Ben, I'm kidding. We both would really appreciate any contributions you can make to our Patreon page. You can pledge as little as $4 a month that would help support us with any equipment that we need to buy. Also, we pay our authors who come on to do interviews so we want to keep paying authors keep paying creators so if you are enjoying please support the sci-fi side on patreon additionally if you're like i ain't got no money right now bitch that's totally understandable please support us by giving us a review on apple Podcasts. we will read your reviews on the show and thank you so much we will see you next week for episode 35 bye y'all thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.